Hello friends and welcome back to another episode of the Steal These Faults audio experience aka my podcast and in today's episode I was able to have a really great conversation with the thoughtful Kenny Temowo who is a head of LND or really a global head of leadership development learning and diversity inclusion and belonging and I spoke to Kenny in this episode about a really thoughtful article that he had released on LinkedIn around diversity, inclusion and belonging and getting really clear on that. And it was one of the most impactful articles I've probably read in this space. So of course, my curiosity wanted to take some time to speak to Kenny and actually share his thought process around this, because I believe for a lot of us that work in learning and development teams or people development teams as part of a people function diversity inclusion and belonging is very big on the agenda but it's not always clear what we can do in this space what we should do in this space and through its complexities how we can really get clear on this and provide value and do the right things for the business and for people as well. So hopefully in this conversation, you're able to take away a lot on this topic from Kenny's own experiences. And of course, we take some time to talk the usual around the world of learning and looking towards the future as well. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did having this conversation with Kenny. And as always, please do reach out to me on social media with your thoughts. Kenny, welcome. And thank you for taking the time to chat with me today on the podcast. So before we crack on with hopefully delights of today's conversation, I would really love to find out a bit more about yourself and your own story and just share a little bit about your own journey for those who don't know you. Thanks, Ross. Yeah, it's um yeah, I'm really glad to be here. Thanks for having me on the on the podcast. Um so yeah, a little bit about myself. So currently if we sort of work backwards from where I am now. I, I work as a global um, lead for uh, leadership development, um, learning and inclusion at Improbable. Improbable is a, we're a games company with a, with a tech um, kind of offering as well. And we're about sort of a thousand, a thousand people strong. Um, and, you know, we've got offices in China, North America, Europe, um, and, you know, remote contractors as well. So yeah, a really, a really cool role. Um, but I guess my story, how did I end up where I, where I am now? Um, leading on leadership and on inclusion. So I actually started out my career as um, for my troubles as a sixth form college lecturer with, with, you know, 18 year olds who looked like they should have been full-time jobs because they were so, <laughs> they were so big. Um, and so I was sort of lecturing, if you like, in sort of things like critical thinking, philosophy, religion, that sort of world. Um, and I think that was a really important um, formational time for me because as we might talk about later, you know, the, the article that I wrote on, on DIB, which stands for us, it stands for Diversity, Inclusion and Belonging. I was really thinking quite almost forensically about, you know, what what those words mean and what they mean to us. And and that really is rooted in my time studying philosophy and, and teaching around things like critical thinking and religion, which uh, there are often a lot of existential, existential questions in that sort of space. Um, so yeah, started out there, also taught creative arts um, all those years ago as well. And um, I can remember my A-level students now sitting in 
in my office with me crying about their um, exams coming up and really fond memories and but yeah it, not, not long afterwards I, I then um, trained as a coach um, went into consulting um, and then that was another formational period for me as well in that consulting space um, at PA Consulting where I met I guess you know someone who kind of became a friend and a mentor Nick um, Shackleton Jones who I guess your audience might be familiar with as well um, and and I think the one thing I take away from my time at PA Consulting was we had an old not old in age although I think he was also old in age um, but a, a former CEO of the company and his his sort of dream was that any consultant that gets sold into a a company and we would use the word sold it's a horrible term but um that that gets deployed into a company what the the prime value that they're adding is their ability to structure problems and he'd often say we had this course there called top-down thinking which was originated by barbara minto from mckinsey and it was basically about how you present information in a logical and structured way and one of the things i took away from that was just that was how do you think about a problem how do you structure that and what's the best way sort of to communicate to that? So if you sort of take that, that was formational for me, and also back to my time studying and 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 teaching in that sort of critical thinking space, um, all of that lent itself to how I approach learning and development, leadership, and um, and diversity inclusion. And then I guess finally the the um the other lens is you know my parents uh, came over from West Africa in about the late seventies, um, and I grew up with one parent for the most part my mum raised seven boys mostly on her own um and i i'm sort of in the middle of that and so you know you juxtapose what i just described in terms of my career and then also you know migrant family and sort of growing up in poverty um the whole piece around inclusion uh, diversity you know, all of those factors um has just sort of risen in prominence for me in terms of what i think about so um yeah, that's probably a bit of a whistle-stop tour. Great. Thank you for sharing that. It's, it's so funny that you mentioned the Minto principles because I've just literally had someone talking to me about that earlier today. Um, oh, about, that. about resenting. It's so odd how that happens yeah. sometimes, isn't it? I, I, am, I am not super jealous at all that you work for a games company. I will. Uh, <laughs> I am not sitting here just thinking, oh, yeah. <laughs> I I must admit, you know, the, the first time I, when I joined, because, uh, you know, I'm a bit of, a, bit of an avid gamer, unsurprisingly, mm. um, when I joined and got on a call with, you know, ex-Bioware, so if people that don't know, Bioware is a mm. famous, um, you know, game studio. I think they're based out in Canada. Um, ex, um, you know, developers who worked on the Halo franchise, mm. which was a big, massive game for Microsoft. You know, so being on calls with these, you know, heavy hitters was... Um, I had to not fanboy out. I had to <laughs> rein, in, rein in the excitement and just yeah. relax. You, you, you do know. better than me. I remember I worked for Sega, Sega Games for about yeah. four or five months, a long time ago when I was about yeah. 18, 19. So this is probably near enough, I don't know, 14, 15 years ago now or something uh -huh. like that. And uh, I remember at that time, I was like, this is my life. That's it. Like, I'm just, I'm, you know, Sega Games or whatever. But uh, yeah. no, yeah. I am. I am very envious slash jealous anyway so getting, <laughs> getting back to the kind of conversation look, thank you very much for sharing that. i think it's great to get a bit more of an insight on you and your mm. approach as well i'm very interested about philosophy i'm a massive marcus aurelius fan i read mm. meditations yeah. um yeah. every year of, and Seneca my favorite well. quote i think is it aurelius who said that the secret of all victory lies in the organization of the non-obvious 
I think that might be an Aurelius quote. But I think the, it could be. I'd love to say I was big enough fanboy to confirm that, but <laughs> which, <laughs> no, well, well, I say that it is one of my favorite quotes because again, it, it speaks to, and maybe we we might come to it, but it speaks mm. to that article. Um, so I'll repeat this, the the quote again. Mm. Um, those who might have missed it but the secret of victory lies in the organization of the non-obvious again i think that was marcus Aurelius. i could Mm. be wrong i'm not googling it now i could do Mm. but um but what i take from that is you know there's so many assumptions that we make Mm. uh, and often um we don't take time to to step back and analyze the, the stuff that isn't so obvious um and in the case of inclusion there's lots of complexity there's lots mm. of confusion, confusion i think um and that's what i'm you know learning and you know to be honest mm. and, and trying to do at improbable is um is be thoughtful about those things which um yeah aren't, aren't necessarily obvious that makes sense that actually nicely leads me on kind of we've mentioned it a few times the um, in my opinion i messaged you after i saw it on linkedin to say the the great article that you had on uh um dib and, and uh, honestly like when i Probably like much like most people, and there's probably a load of people in our industry that can understand this at the moment. Is I mean, there's a lot of kind of pressure on L and D, well-being teams, and and really talking about what does diversity, inclusion, and belonging mean at these organisations. Mm. And you know, be honest, your article, and I've read a few of your articles before, but that article you published was the first time where I was like, oh mm. my god, like someone's got it someone's really really kind of articulated it and i can't can't remember showing it to loads of people and i'm like you have to read this like this is what we've been trying to like you know get to because they always felt like a point where you know companies want clear definitions but the you know as you said there's so much kind of complexity in that realm of you know what does it really mean for the individual what does it mean for our community what does it mean for the organization And you know what is that thread through there? So, you know, really, my question is: I'm interested in the in the fact that where I think many organisations of people have struggled to uh, articulate that. What was your thought process around getting to those definitions for diversity, inclusion, and belonging? So, so I think, as we sort of alluded to, right, there's um, the the whole area of diversity and inclusion and belonging and equity, all these words. I think it's just rife with um, emotion. And one of the things I noticed at work was that people were getting fatigued. And it's something that I touched on at the start of the article. People were sort of um, backing away from the area and the topic, partly because genuinely they were just sort of drained and tired, but emotionally because of everything that was going on with Black Lives Matter and George Floyd and all the other bits. Um, But also I think people were stepping back because they were afraid of getting it wrong. They're afraid of saying a mis- making a mistake and you've got cancel culture out there on social media and so there's this backdrop of um you know uh, people that are kind of on edge and maybe sort of have been sort of moved into the fringes and, and don't feel like they can be honest about questions that they have be that about race about ethnicity about you know the whole sort of shebang and so i thought and internally what we've been saying that um improbable is you know, we're a very thoughtful organization. Our CEO is a very thoughtful individual and um, and we've never wanted to sort of go along with the masses, if you like. We want to interrogate what, what we're doing. And so, yeah, so, so the thinking behind that document was to say, and it's called Getting Clear on Inclusion. And it's trying to bring some clarity um, in the hope that people won't shy away from the to- topic, but they will engage, they will debate, they will discuss. Because here, guess what, Ross? If people step away, and don't have the conversation, then everything that 
inclusion diversity stands for is at risk you know because the very people we need in the conversation are the very people who will sort of step back either because they're fatigued or because they're worried and scared of saying the wrong thing so it was trying to sort of bridge that um, and encourage dialogue open um, psychologically safe now, i liked what you uh, the number of things you said there actually in terms of the the fear that some individuals have in terms of actually getting that wrong and i think look it, w- it wouldn't be a miss there's a number of people i've spoken to you know even kind of in our industry where it's been a, a similar thread of conversation where it's like want to get this right from the start but i don't really know where to start i don't know where that that yeah. point is to actually go out there and say you know what what does that look like and you know what would be right as i say what would be right for our community as well and it's interesting as you mentioned around your ceo being a quite thoughtful individual so that kind of radiating down to i suppose maybe you you can tell us that as well in terms of essentially giving a bit of safety to be like we can have those conversations and and have that Mm -hmm. being open and with this were there any lessons in particular you learned with the approach you kind of had taken with this this document to people so was there anything that kind of came back that maybe surprised you or you know, whether in a good or bad way that you kind of took away and said that that was a like an interesting reaction. That's an interesting lesson for us to learn there. Yeah, that's that's, that's a good question. Um, and you mean in relation to to the specific article? Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah, there was there were some interesting comments. I think um, there was one particular comment about. So one of the things I said was that you know when there's a gap in, in the area of inclusion around measurement. And, you know, so, you know, what, what does good look like? What does, rep- what does good representation look like? For example, you know, should, should you have, um, you know, 10% of your organization um, come from, you know, black or brown sort of, you know, or origin or ethnic origin, however you want to describe it. And we tend not to use the word BAME anymore, right? Or, you know, what portion of your population should, um, should you aim for to come from neurodiverse backgrounds, let's say, you know, all of these different kind of targets. And, um, and one of the things I think I was advocating for, I was saying that, you know, if you take the different demographic groups in a company, that may be uh, a reasonable goal is to say, um, we want to be in line with industry standards, or maybe we want to be at parity with kind of national statistics. So, you know, if we look at the proportion of, you know, females in the you know general population, and you translate that to tech industry and whatnot, what, you know, there should be some um, you know, we should try to bridge the gap there, you know, um, you know, improbable, you know, I hold my hands up and, and I think it'd be fine to share that, you know, our uh, percentage of people from black Afro-Caribbean backgrounds is uh, not commensurate with the sort of general population and not commensurate with the tech industry. So you want, you want some kind of benchmark to sort of aim for, but the pushback, I think all, all the comment that came back, which I thought was interesting, um was that um you know someone was giving an example of saying well what if an mba or sports team decided to diverse diversify their teams um and fire half of the black players so that they match state demographic statistics you know would that be would that make sense you know um and so and i thought that was a you know interesting sort of comparison and i think my response to that was to say well you know, the NBA is a very specific, the basketball sport is a very specific task and focus. And of course, you need very specific skills. Um, I don't think it's fair to compare that to the sort of general workplace or sort of office environment. Um, so, but but other than that, um, I think there were some, you know, most people were 
very complimentary of the article. Um, I think most people found the sort of clarity that I was aiming at and driving at helpful. Um, and then, you know, where you did get comments like the one I've mentioned, I think it just speaks to, you know, there is some risk, some aversion to, I guess, what you might unfairly call kind of woke ideology and people sort of see if they see something and think, oh, that's just sort of the the woke um, left or whatever coming with their sort of spiel. Um, some people get a bit defensive, get a bit concerned and um, and feel that these and feel that it's just a sort of a liberal and leftist sort of agenda that has been pushed so often you get some adverse reactions from that perspective yeah I, i've uh I, I must admit i'm not quite clued up on wokeness i keep hearing people drop it on twitter half the time i've not quite got myself into the uh the swing of what that means but you, you bring out again some really great points and it actually leads back to some of the portion that we were discussing around where people were having that fear of actually kind of setting out their stool on this and then the metrics bit what i thought it was really interesting because i think there is a lot of struggle with that i think there's loads of metrics that like i don't think there's loads and loads of metrics but it's then what kind of organizations and individuals or any kind of communities are saying like these are the things that we need to improve and it's interesting because one point yeah. in particularly brought up around you know females in tech is always you know i'm in a tech org i've been yeah. at tech orgs for many many years yeah. it's always that thing where it's like you know we know that gap is there and that is a very firm consistent but as well that's only kind of one part of the puzzle there's a lot more to it as well and yeah. i mean, i see like i say in the conversations i'm having with people it is actually where in such a large potentially complex field how do they kind of pick out the right bits and hit the right you know i think sometimes people try to go for um you know to go back to the, the basketball i tried to go for a slam dunk and hit everything in one which is not going to happen this is not going to be oh look i'm going to do this in, in three or six months this is a you know multi-year multi-decade type journey to go on and yeah. and look into that and connecting into that and I, i'm interested because you mentioned about your ceo and some leadership in general one thing that's you know, come up in my career and definitely can't when i've spoken to others as well is that when looking at inclusion in general and having the conversation with senior leaders or exec teams and really kind of getting them to engage with these conversations and, and help embed that in the workplace culture because i i'm sure we we all know those people listen to this where you have you'll have a certain of a community that's really kind of keen on this and they're pushing this on the ground up but you know we know from the the top if there's an ability for senior leaders and managers they're the people that we kind of really need to engage with and bring on board to actually then mm. i hate the word evangelize but it's kind of like to in a bit to get it around there and actually connect it across the business and actually live and breathe it so i'm just intrigued to how you know a if you've how you've kind of engaged senior leaders or and mm. what you'd potentially recommend to other people as well when they're when they're working on some of these changes in their business yeah good question I, so i think the first the first thing is to define it all right, we have to sort of really define what is the it that we're talking about? What is the change that we think we want to see? And, and, and why would that change be good? So, so for example, here, here's something controversial. Um, and, and, I sh and I need to state at the outset that, of course, I'm in an inclusion role. And so I, of course, believe in the importance of this role. So what I'm, gonna, what I'm about to say may sound like heresy for someone sitting in my position. Um, when, when we talk about, you know, the business case for inclusion and all of those sorts of things, which I, I'm not a fan of that sort of expression, but hey, um, often people cite a, an article that McKinsey wrote, 
I can't remember when, but some years ago, about the benefits of inclusion um, uh, or the, the progress and productivity and sort of, you know, net returns that companies who focus on inclusion sort of see. Um, and often we just leave it there. Now, if you go onto a, um, a website, so there's a, there's a chap, uh, I think it's James Lindsay and, and Helen Pluckrose who have a site called um, New Discourses, which often people, like some people actually on the on the article cited and and they um pushed back on that they say that oh they were doing a bit of research which suggested that actually depending on which what kind of company you are so for example if you are in an innovation space i think it was i couldn't remember but if you're sort of a company that's an innovation type space then actually the strong massive levels of diversity um could work against you um now i can't remember if i've cited or quoted that accurately but i guess what i'm getting at is when you read some of those articles you you'll notice that you dig down and dig deeper into the um research literature it's not as simple as it seems it's not as simple as a case of you you know your company x you should pick up this agenda regardless of your size your strategy your position in the market you know all of those sorts of things you should simply run with this agenda and i think what the other folks on this if you if you have a look at some of jane lindsay's uh, uh work uh, what they were driving at so why am i saying that but to you know to answer your question around you know how do you approach senior leadership um i think that that position is really important you've really got to understand you've got to recognize that one ought not to be pursuing diversity for the sake of diversity or pursuing inclusion for the sake of inclusion right um you've really got to understand where is your business at as an organization so to give us ourselves as a start, as, a, as an example, Improbable was a scale up, and um, we're about a thousand strong, as I said at the, at the start. Um, but we're in a hyper growth kind of mode, and so we've got we've got a defense business where we've got contracts to fulfill. Uh, so there's some real operational questions around. Okay, we need to get the heads in to meet the the the, the, the demand, but does that mean we then have to sort of spend you know wait until we get the right kind of can candidates from underrepresented underrepresented background if i can say that um, and if so what does that mean where there is a material urgency for some of these roles so you've got these real operational questions and if you can't speak to that with your leadership team then you haven't got a hope you know you've got to really show that you understand the operational challenges of the business and you can speak to that um uh, in terms of how does inclusion actually solve the business problems? That that's that's a, that's my focus. Um, and so when I'm speaking with um, leaders and execs, I'm thinking about what are we optimizing for and how is this going to help? Now, that's not true of everybody in my kind of role. You've got some people and you've got some companies who position themselves as social activists in the sense that their mission is to make change in society impact society from a sort of inclusion perspective and therefore actually they do want to do these they've got these inclusion initiatives which um are maybe not having a direct impact on their bottom line but it's because they want to see a difference in society i think that's noble i think that's admirable um but you know and if that's where your leaders leaders are at then you know great that's that's good for you you know absolutely wonderful but it's important to recognize what is your mission and how is inclusion um, going to support support that mission? He said that mission part is um, incredibly, I think, vital as well to how that connects in and then how do you speak to that 
with your senior leaders. So thank you for sharing that. That's some great advice. And we you know, spoke a little bit around enabling real change. I think my next point I'd be quite curious to explore with you is not just on the inclusion front, but I suppose because in our positions, and maybe this is an, un- an unpopular opinion for myself, is I find LND is often tasked with changing the world or changing the <laughs> business. There is there is very much, and I felt this throughout, you know, being at LND for the last kind of eight years now, in particular in HR more generally over the last decade, I've always felt this um, little bit, I, don't, I won't call it pressure, but there is this instinction of company has X problem and they yeah. believe that LND will solve it. So they'll come down to you, you know, as the LND manager there, and then they'll say, hey, you know, we, we, we've got this issue here. And it, it's a myriad of things. Well, I've been in a position where it's like, it might be inclusion, it might be communication, it might be cultural. And the, the answer from the business is, well, we need you to run a program or a workshop. And after that, it's all going to be sunshine and rainbows. And, you know, we're going to tick the box and, and it's going to be fixed. And but what never really happens there is any change, as we know. And what we're aiming for is the change in the workplace culture. So, again, looking at part of that as inclusion, but maybe just some of your body of work overall in the L&D space, how do you find that challenge yourself in terms of, you know, bringing around people that you've worked with to say, right, we can do X, but actually, Mm. if you want to impact your culture and and do real change, actually, you know, we'll need to do this. Great question. Yeah, it's um, I share that. I share that. Frustration. I mean, you didn't say the word frustration, but mm, that's um, it's there. What's, what, yeah, it's there, and it's there for me also. Um, so I think one needs to get the permission to do that change kind of work, and I think part of the way of we, we are given that permission is by delivering the kind of stuff that they want to see. Mm. You know, um, so that that's one you know approach. If they want to see a shiny, polished object, which we secretly know is probably not going to move the needle or make much difference in terms of behaviour then you, you sort of have to deliver that. Um, and uh, I remember Nick, my sort of friend and I guess old old um, you know, team lead would often talk about um, interleaving one's own ambitions with the ambitions of the business in almost like a Trojan horse. Mm. So they want to see a, a five day course on, on whatever, which you know is not gonna make much of a difference. Okay, well, within that, how can we do something meaningful? How can we use that as a bit of a Trojan horse to do the stuff that we know is really impactful, uh, which might be some, you know, some, some some animation, some videos. It might be something that we know that the business really wants. So, you know, can, can you can you weave in the sort of um, strategic ambition to meet the sort of more immediate um, concerns of the of, of the senior leadership? Um, so, so that's the first thing, and then. Um, and then also, I just think, as you say, people people move to L and D because it's it's what people know, you know. And as a society, education, um, you know, going through college, going through school, going through university, sort of seen as the panacea that cures all ills. You know, you've just got to you've just got to teach people, and that will be fine. Um, well, that didn't work with the um, you know the ministers back way back when when there was this expenses scandal. Well, actually, no, that was people who were pretty educated and it's because they're pretty educated that they did, you know, you know, whether it's that or, or the, um, what was the other one in 2009? Was it Enron, um, Enron scandal or something like that? And you, you look at these scandals and these are people that are really educated, but their behavior hasn't changed. And so I think there's a bit of a fallacy there to think that if you just make people aware of something, if you just try and pour knowledge into their heads, um, that will make all the difference. So yeah, the big question is, well, what, what do you do instead? 
Um, how do you sort of transform that? I think that a big part of that is one through data. I think you've got to be able to demonstrate uh, and show rather than tell. So one of the things we tried to do at PA Consulting, we didn't often do it successfully, but we tried to put the leaders through an experience that we thought shifted the needle that would challenge them um, rather than telling them what they should do, just help them experience it. Um, uh, and that sort of helps sort of get, get some of the buy-in. It's great stuff. And uh, yes, being, being data and evidence there to what I know that terrifies some people and then indeed, I know some people are like, no, I don't want to go, go near that, but it is, it is, like I say, it's in, incredibly powerful. And I'm glad you mentioned the piece around the behavioral mechanism, which I think and I a hundred percent agree with you. Cause I even think about this from, and probably the same as you, about the countless mm. leadership manager programs that I have been on or I've seen or I've done. And yeah. I think actually you, you're, you're passing a lot of knowledge to people in these kind of four hallowed walls that people look yeah. at as a classroom, but there's very few, I suppose, looking at actually, how do we challenge your behavioral perceptions? How do we look at your emotional intelligence? So an example of that being, if I may, is like, so feedback, feedback can be a very, it can go horribly wrong if you if you don't yeah. do it in the right way and you haven't got the right humility and intentions you can mm -hmm. you can give someone a framework and say this is what you do but it's in the delivery the behavioral mechanism the reactions and i thought essentially the things that you cannot teach where yeah. actually the people come through but it's just that recognize and i think that for me is you know getting back to the point of the the change in the workplace is that takes time and i think that's mm -hmm. what people don't understand is that you can you can run those courses. I think it's interesting what you say about the um, the five-day course and blending in something that can be meaningful there, which I like. That's far more pragmatic than my rebellious approach where I try to make people mm -hmm. bend to my will, but it doesn't actually happen most of the time. So um, that, that sounds like a, a better approach I might have to um, blend into my well, world there. Well, yeah, I mean, it's something that me and um, I keep bringing up Nick just because we, we spend a lot of time together and, and often still talk about these things, but we'd often talk about the holy grail of of behavior change being mm. you know imagine imagine there's something i could tell you now ross that would change your life mm. or change be a pivotal moment for you you know we, we can look back at the course of our lives and see that there were these different defining pivotal moments again you know nick would often say you could step out of this room something could happen to you and your life would be completely different your, your behavior would change, you know, mm. and, you know, often we will talk about, you know, marriage, divorce, moving house, those kinds of pivotal moments. Mm. Right. And part of the challenge for, for learning and development is, can we engineer that? Can we engineer those pivotal moments where you could say the right words with the right level of emphasis to the, to someone in your team. And that would, you talk about feedback, right? And maybe that would sort of shift their behavior. And we haven't cracked that, you know, I mean, that's almost playing God in some ways, but, but that's kind of the holy grail. And I think we talk about behavior change. We almost, you know, not speaking to you here, but in general, we almost say the word behavior change and it's so easy to roll off our tongue, but, but damn, it's, it's actually incredibly difficult to do behavior change. That said, there are some basic things that we know that work. So again, just come back to feedback, right? You know, I gave some feedback to a team member and the very next day, I saw her working on the thing that I mentioned and I didn't notice that she was working on it kind of immediately until she said, Hey, Kenny, by the way, do you know what I was trying to do just then? I was trying to work on the thing that we talked about yesterday. Bam. Immediately she was changing her behavior, right? But she was changing her behavior on the basis that she trusted me. She wants, she, you know, 
agreed with my feedback. There was some kind of relationship there. And so in some ways, this isn't rocket science. You know, part of it is not trying to bowl the ocean and say, okay, we know that so much of behavior change is going to be based on interaction, going to be based on interpersonal interaction between line manager, direct report, you know, project lead, team member. And so if you can, which is why so much work is focused on manager training, but I think there's a problem there. It needs to be teams, not just individuals. And if you focus on that level and on those relationships, that's where a lot of behavior is going to change because as human beings, we have this um, aversion to negative perceptions that other people might have. So we do want to please, we want to be accepted, we want to belong, relatedness. You look at the work of Daniel Pink and, and Detchi, Ryan and Detchi in terms of motivational theory, relatedness and belonging are really important things. And so we're going to shift our behavior if we think that will help social perceptions. And so in short, I realize there's a bit of a rant. Um, there's a lot in there, but I think behavior change um, can happen in the area of inclusion through L&D by just demonstrating some awareness of how behavior change works. I love it. That was great. That was great. There's loads of uh, great snippets for people to take up there and um, and use there. So just while we're on the L&D bit, actually, and it's probably uh, good for me to ask before we start to wrap up is, yeah, yeah. I, I look, it'd be an understatement if I said here the last couple of years haven't been a bit chaotic for uh, the human race. Yeah, but I think what we have seen is, I suppose, in some ways, a very interesting acceleration of the way we operate as a society in many different ways. So, you know, we know about this in, you know, predominantly in the outside world, but also in work and how we interact with different technologies. And, you know, I found, and it may be good to hear from you as well, that from the, the L&D perspective, and I was kind of joking with you before the, the, the call here, that there's been an acceleration all of a sudden in the way that people view, some people view workplace learning, and in particular, you know, digital learning, if you want to, it's much broader than that, but digital learning where all of a sudden everything's online, everything's, you know, super accessible. Um, that's changed and people are very much open to that all of a sudden. They want to be involved in it and companies, you know, are, are very hungry for it. In your opinion, with the kind of last 18 to 24 months, and this is a big question, so I don't expect us to answer all this here, but in your view, where do you think workplace learning is going in the kind of say the next five years or where where can it go looking at the kind of results of the pandemic the digital acceleration and you know mm. people being a bit more thirsty for learning if you want to say that wow you're right ross that is a massive question yeah. <laughs> um, i mean i'd love to hear your thoughts on this for sure because um i i, I certainly don't certainly couldn't can confess to have uh profess to have the answers um to that where is learning or where could it go where yeah where could it go i mean let me so i would give you some of my kind of thoughts quick i'd say where i'd like it yeah, to go yeah. i yeah, think right. you know i've seen i am incredibly encouraged by people being a lot more interested in their own personal development mm. specifically from you know people skill perspective from a technical skill perspective and I think, look, if you're staring down the barrel of potentially your own mortality as a shared human experience two years ago, it will make you think differently about careers and, and what you want to do. And I think from a workplace setting, I have seen definitely in my worlds in the fact that digital adoption, uh, you know, look, I work for a tech company as well, so there's a slight bit of bias in there with it, but there's a, a massive digital adoption to really come on board to actually how can we create better 
experiences for all humans in a digital world because actually now it's not available in a face-to-face setting so how do we do that and i think what i would like to see is and i call it kind of performance engineering and performance consulting where it's more like workplace learning is around more fundamentally less about as we joked about before with you know the business tenure you want to do but more about how do we help you as a performance coach so you know whether that's from using digital means to do that whether that is a face-to-face interaction and some of this comes into inclusivity as well Mm. because we're having a lot of this conversation with how do we build experiences that traverse all of that hybrid Mm. world that matter if you're at home or if you're in person but I really think that what I'd like to see is more move into that performance coaching approach and being more like how do we solve your real world business problems because I feel like L&D specifically has been roped into things like inclusion, well-being, better use of tech because of the pandemic and other events. And I think like it'd be a missed opportunity if that wasn't built upon to actually say, well, LND could transform into this now. And they could be that performance coaching setup where it's like, this is what we do. And we're enabled to do this through a multitude of channels. It's not just a classroom anymore it's a whole kind of sphere of that but that would be my you know if i had to write that down in 10 years time someone come back to me that would be it <laughs> nice that's nice ross performance performance coaching performance consulting yeah i like that and i think i share yeah i share a number of the sort of um hopes and aspirations that, that you've shared there as well and i guess what what i'm sat with as as you as you've shared that and i think the listeners got some hopefully got some real gems in what you shared, Ross. I guess the feeling I'm sat with in thinking about your question, just checking, you can still hear me, right? I can, yeah. Yeah, you can, yeah, yeah. Um, the feeling I'm sat with is we don't go, we're not going far enough. I think, I think mm. um, I, I'm always thinking about quotes, right? And there was this quote, I, I don't know if it was uh, my, Michelangelo who said something like, the problem isn't that we aim high and fail, but that we aim low and succeed or, or something like that. I, I, I may have misquoted him. But I, but I feel like um, uh, we need a sort of expansive vision around um, learning and development, and, and perhaps which means even getting rid of the term learning learning and development because I just think it it's too constraining. I, I tell you what I see, uh, um, what I hope for, and what I'm constantly thinking about is what you mentioned around experiences or and what we we're talking about earlier around defining moments. I see a kind of world in which people come to work and um, have the opportunity to experience the dramatic, to experience a- astonishment, to experience amazement. I've got this quote that I put on my, um, that some people will see on my sort of LinkedIn um, profile. And, uh, you know, it's basically from a from a fella, uh, Studs Terkel, who, who wrote some, who's written some amazing work. I think he was a journalist slash kind of social scientist, but he says, um, work is about a search for daily meaning as well as daily bread, for recognition as well as cash, for astonishment rather than torpor. I don't know if I pronounced that right. In short, for a sort of life rather than a Monday through Friday sort of dying. And um, and for many people, you know, not for all, but their sort of work experience is sort of flatlines, you know. And maybe sometimes they have these sort of peak moments. And I think that the sort of part of the challenge, I think, for for particularly for the people function, is how can we take those sort of that flat line and create more of those peaks in someone's work experience, at work, work, you know, life? What does that look like to create more of those peaks? Again, the conversations that I've had with, you know, my friend Nick around, around these very things. And so 
so maybe maybe we're not called learning and development um maybe it's something else and i i hate to sort of guess what that might be um uh, because i'd probably just come up with horrible titles but something that speaks to that creating those take going from flat lines to creating those peak um moments that matter is another sort of phrase people like to throw out there isn't it i like that and i i agree on the constraints for sure with the word learning and development i think i've always actually wrote something about that where um it was tongue in cheek but i continuously struggle to articulate to people what i actually do because i'll say <laughs> mnd but yeah. it's not really what i do and whether that's yeah. a dinner party whether that's to a relative or whatever when they're like if i say lnd to them i always joke about they imagine someone with a hundred slide powerpoint presentation standing at a room for nine hours but it is actually the polar opposite of what i end up doing so that is well, it's, aristotle would talk about human flourishing he would mm. you know um, uh, um uh i forget the sort of i forget the greek word um uh but that there's a greek word which basically means mm. flourishing and um and, and maybe some of the, part of it is going back to the sort of roots of you know what this human flourishing looked like mm -hmm. in, um, in the workplace i think some people call it now growth and impact department as opposed to sort of um l d but um you know I, i'd we, we once had a um you know again we once had a, a client who said oh actually there's there's a there's a movie that i was introduced to um uh called the game and it, it's got michael douglas in it mm. and um, I won't put the spoilers, you know, you know, give any spoilers, but essentially it's it's about that piece around how do you transform someone's life? What does it look like to, to transform um, someone? And if, if your listeners haven't seen it, I encourage them to go and watch it because I think there's something in there um, which speaks to a gap in the workplace, something mm. that's missing as far as what, what we could be focusing on in our respective sort of uh, arenas. I put it onto the list. I've not heard that one before. I'll have to. Uh, I'll have yeah. to check that out. What, let me know what you think when you watch. This. I will do. Yeah, do you know what I always think of when I when I think about this in general, the LED word. I always think about for whatever reason and the kind of re the rebellious nature of myself. I always think about Jerry Maguire, and when Jerry Maguire has kind of that like kind of breakout where he's like, "What am I doing? Why am I doing all this kind of stuff and that?" And then you're trying to explain it to people. That comes to mind from time to time. But I love what you mentioned around the peaks as well. Trying to get more of the peaks and that purpose. I think the purpose bit and that actually to just to add on to my bit there that is what i'm most excited to see is more hopefully it won't be you know a, a perfect world of that but more purpose-led conversations where people actually you know hopefully can have that career where it's like right it's something that does give me purpose and to your quote that you mentioned there about rising in the morning and looking mm. at it as purpose and not just looking at it as a nine to five slog and just like right i'm gonna suffer with this until yeah which I find a strange is it going on a tangent, but I find it a strange thing anywhere where people like get a job, suffer with it for 40, 50 years and then decide to retire and strange societal movement for me in general. But um, yeah. And of course, it, and it takes us back to that question at the beginning or earlier around, you know, engagement with leadership, because it's all well and good. You and I pontificating and you mm. know, aggrandizing about these wonderful ideas. Um, eudaimonia, by the way, that was mm. the word um, eudaimonia, which means um, kind of happiness or well-being mm. but even if you pursue this sense of human flourishing if that's what LND LND is about ultimately you've, you've got to demonstrate that that can impact the bottom line you've you know you've got to demonstrate that that can lead to productivity and that could lead to a difference in the business and it's that question 
that I think still eludes us in our function of, mm. uh, I mean, some teams have maybe done really well at demonstrating the return on investment and all of that sort of business jargon. But um, I think to your question of what the future looks mm. like, I think part of it is being able to better um, show um, that what we're doing is making a difference to the business. Definitely. I think I've not cracked that either. It's, it's always a thing that's been missing for me. I must write it down every year. How do I get better at demonstrating the ROI? And it's, it's the, always that thing where, you know, it becomes, I mean, you could go off on a tangent for another hour or two on, on yeah. that bit itself, but look, if anyone is out there and they have cracked it, I want to know. So <laughs> do get in touch if they have done it, but look, Kenny, I really appreciate all your time. Um, here. As me. we look to wrap up, look, I just want to kind of ask a few quick things and then mm. we'll um, uh, let you get back onto your day. So and one of them is going to be that aside from your own work, which I do recommend people check out from your LinkedIn articles as well. Are there any other companies or thinkers you know in this space that you'd recommend we learn from i know you mentioned nick and nick has obviously got his book as well how people learn yeah. if people haven't read that you know i do recommend you pick that up as well but are there um are there any other people that you recommend the community should uh should check out to it's oh, a good question so you mean particularly in the in the learning space or yeah in the in the learning space oh that's a that's a really good question. So, so yeah, Nick, Nick is one that I would sort of mention. Um, I, I must confess, I don't follow many people in the learning space. Um, I do like Tracy Waters at Sky. I've, you know, I mm. like the, her, the work they're doing and, and also her colleague, Natal Danak, I think. Um, uh, they've actually got, I don't know when listeners will hear this, but if you hear it before July 22nd, they've got a um, an Agile HR meetup, I think, on, on July 22nd. Nice. So, you know, um, uh, that team, there's another lady that works with uh, Natal, but I can't remember her name. Um, but yeah, in that Agile HR space, I think that's sort of useful, particularly if you're in a tech, tech world. Um, you mentioned David James before mm -hmm. we started talking. I know his po podcast is pretty popular, but, but I... I um, Personally, I don't get a lot from a lot of the different L&D podcasts, to be honest. I, I'm more a bit more interested in the sort of culture space, in the mm. sort of, uh, you might call it organizational design and all mm. of those sorts of things. Um, on the inclusion side, there is a really interesting book by a, a chap called Fahad Dalal called um, Thought Paralysis, The Virtues of Discrimination. Um, and if anybody's really interested in diving much deeper into um, taking a, a sort of reasoned, a critical approach to inclusion. Um, I would I would have a look at his work. I think he's actually a psychotherapist by training, um, but um, it's a really meaty book, so be warned. Um, yeah, and there may be some other names. So I don't want listeners to feel like, oh, you know, Kenny's just, um, you know, who does he think he is? He can't mention any other names. It's genuinely, I my mind is blank and there may be some other names in the L&D space, but I'm um, just being honest. I, um, I get more from other sort of um, thinkers, I guess, that aren't, tied to lnd that's understandable you know sometimes i am sick of lnd in general i must say i keep it when i'm reading the same things over and over again uh, I read but, but, but i don't want to bash i really don't want to be thought seen as bashing lnd um you know i think um there are some ideas and thoughts that ought yeah. to be given a good bashing but yeah. um you know I, I i'm i'm conscious of the fact that some people really get a turn off because they think it's all about bashing lnd i think mm. some people are doing they're trying hard mm. they mean well and they're doing some good things just where i'm wired you know um uh, you know, I have just sort of different interests in terms mm. of inspiration. Yeah, makes sense. And so as we as we finish off then, so you've shared so much great stuff for us already, so feel free to skip over this one if you want to. But is there any kind of 
final words of wisdom that you'd like to leave people with? And if they would like to connect with you and find out more about yourself and your work, where can they do that? Thanks. Yeah. Good question. So, um, in terms of getting in touch with me at yeah, Twitter, I'm on Twitter. I actually don't use Twitter as much because I found it a bit fatiguing. Um, but if you type in Kenny Temowell, it's T-E-M-O-W-O, you find me there or LinkedIn more so you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, any, any final words? Um, I guess, you know, something that, that I've tried to do is, um, not be afraid to sort of pursue the sort of, um, my convictions to explore my convictions, have the courage of my convictions to, um, and to explore them, um, with regards, whatever I'm doing, be that inclusion or L and D. And so I, I don't know if this is wisdom at all, to be honest, but, um, I would just sort of encourage people, um, to experiment, to test, to learn. Um, I'd encourage people to, uh, um, to not simply go along with the masses, I guess, in terms of what's being done out there in the L and D or inclusion space. Um, and that might be hard. So connect with, you know, reach out with, you know, folks like us or others. There are tons of people out there. Um, and, uh, you know, networking is massively important, you know, sharing your thoughts out loud and encouraging people to create, critique them, um, and going back and forth. I've, I found that really, really useful. And I, I could challenge myself to do that more. So I hope there's something in there that's helpful for some people. And if anybody's sitting there thinking, oh, I'd, I'd love to be on a podcast or I'd love to sort of get more you know, involved and get out there. Um, I think part of it is, you know, having something to say. And I, I spent a long time thinking about what I was, you know, hearing, what I was reading, and that helped me form a point of view and have something to say. And um, I just always hope that I can be helpful and useful in what I'm saying, rather than wanting to just sort of write and speak for the sake of it. So, you know, I welcome people to challenge any articles I've got or comments, and I, I'd love people just coming on and challenging or bringing a different perspective to anything I post. So please, um, please do and look forward to speaking with you. Great stuff. I thought that was very wise. Personally, there was some absolute goldmine of stuff in there. So I'm sure many people will take a lot from that. But look, Kenny, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you for being so Pleasure. gracious with your expertise and, uh, and sharing your thoughts and We'll leave it at that. So thank you very much. Thanks. Appreciate it. 